All right. Good morning, everybody. You may be seated. All right. Good to see you guys. Looking good. Hey, turn to somebody next to you and say, thanks for taking a shower this week. I mean, appreciate that. Some people find the weekly shower to be excessive. I myself am a fan. I used to be a monthly uh, bath taker, shower taker, but I think a week, you know, is good. No, I'm kidding. I take one every day. Uh, remember that moment when you're like, I don't know, seven, eight, your mom or dad is like, it's time. It's, now's the time. Regular bathing and like, here's, this is this thing you need to wear under your armpits every day, deodorant, right? Uh, as parents right now with children moving into adolescence and all that, or I guess they're adolescents already, but moving into teenage years, preteen, it's, we're starting to have those, those convos, right? Hey, really cool. We got, a, we got a wall framed in here for the auditorium. That's pretty awesome. That's awesome. Uh, they knew I was going to be back preaching this week, so they were like, we got to make sure we keep more people in because uh, usually when you preach, more people flee, and so uh, build a wall there. Okay, I'll stop telling lame jokes until the next one. Um, we went and saw the movie Dis The Jungle Cruise. Anybody seen that? Yeah. It was really good. It was fun. And uh, The Rock tells these <laughs> total dad jokes. I loved it. I loved it. I want to tell some today, but I'll refrain because I want you to go see the movie and enjoy it. Man, so excited to be with you guys today. Excited to be here in church together, worshiping God. This is an awesome moment and uh, just so excited to be here today. We're going to jump right in. We're talking about, uh, we're starting a new series today called I Love My City, I Love My Church. And we do this uh, every, roughly kind of every August, September with sort of a twin focus on, on uh, the mission that God has called us to, but also the community that he's planted us in. And those things go together, right? Because it's in fellowship, it's in community as we love our church, as we embrace our brothers and sisters in the, in the house and uh, work to be the best members and the best family that we can be. Out of that, God does something really cool because he has purpose for the city. And when I say the city, I don't just mean Eugene and Springfield, though that is absolutely what we're talking about. But I'm talking about the city is the world around us, the culture around us that we're called to make a difference and an impact. And I don't know about you, but the city that we're living in right now is kind of hopeless and kind of desperate for life and hope and answers that are, uh, it's easy to see the problem, but it's not easy to have a solution, right? Everybody can see that things are broken. Everybody can see that things are flawed. Everybody can see and perceive that things are wrong, things are bad, but the answer comes from Christ and his kingdom as it is established here on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we talk about, I love my church, I love my city, it's not just a cutesy kind of phrase, not just something where we give out t-shirts or something where we just kind of have parties and talk about this or go and do, we're going to do a serve day, which is great, but it's deeper than that. It's, it's really our theological foundation that we gather together and we're, we're called together to worship God, to connect with God and connect to one another. And out of that comes this life-giving outpouring of the kingdom of God in our community and culture around us. And so as we start this series, I want to give a message today called Encounter. Somebody say Encounter. Now, Encounters, uh, if you're from, you know, the South or, you know, the uttermost parts of Thurston, right, then you, you, <laughs> boom, okay, uh, <laughs> You pronounce the word root, root, um, is, is something. Where's Kelly King? Is this true, Kelly? <laughs> he's not, he's not fessing. Um, I'm just teasing. But, you know, you always hear about, yeah, my brother and I, we were out there at 3 o'clock in the morning out in the cornfield drinking moonshine whiskey, and these bright lights came out of the sky, and them aliens popped out of there, the little green men came out, and they was coming at us with the little metal tools, and we're, you know, anyways, I'll let you just <laughs> fill in the blanks. 
Not that kind of encounter, but the word encounter, it actually means this. It means an unexpected meeting, an unexpected meeting. Now, if you have children, you have a lot of these because my kids, they love to scare us. That's like their delight of their life uh, is to scare mom and, and dad and or both of us at the same time. Uh, they love to, to scare us. And so we have these encounters my son, Jack, like he's not a creepy kid. He's actually like really sweet, loving and sensitive and like thoughtful, but he kind of is aware that he can be like creepy. And so what he's doing right now, I don't know if you've seen him doing this, but he, he shows up in our room. Usually like I wake up pretty early, like 5.36 in the morning. Jack will just be there in the pre-dawn light. <laughs> he's just there, you know, he's not, it's not like knock, knock, dad, daddy, mommy, I'm here. You know, he doesn't announce himself. He just, he just appears, he's in the room and he has sort of that, I would call it like the British ghost boy haircut. It's like that sort of blonde hair, center part, you know, sort of hangs over his eyes. And then this little boy is just in our room. It's sort of like how every horror movie starts. You know what I mean? It just <laughs> appears. And so it tests my heart every day. It's <gasps> waking up out of a dead sleep and here's a ghost, you know. And I'm a nervous personality. So this is, and I believe in spirit. So, I mean, it goes together, you know. So th that's Jack and... Um, but beyond him just sort of being in our room in the morning, they also love to like jump out and scare us. And so I'll just be going about my business, you know, walking through the house and here's Jack or Evie or Penny, boo! And Penny's really into it right now. Like she's hiding in closets, she's there. But probably the, the, the most significant encounter I had was um, I was taking a shower one day in our bathroom uh, and our, we have one of those showers that has the, the door, whatever, and it's kind of a closed off place. So all of a sudden, I'm just in there, you know, just don't imagine. Just, you know what I mean? I just, <laughs> just scrub this from the online part. Anyways, uh, yeah. So I'm in the shower, and, um, and all of a sudden, Jack rips open the shower door and goes, ah! So I reacted in the absolutely normal way, which is I screamed right back at him, ah! And like really loud, and then he starts to cry. Apparently, a large naked man screaming at you is scary to some people. I don't know. I don't know. So that was an encounter. And I'm like, I was traumatized. I mean, I mean, I was really, it got me. And I had to tell him like, buddy, you can't do that, you know? But good job. <laughs> you know what I mean? How many of you know with your kids, like the worst stuff they do, you're kind of proud? Because it was, I mean, that was a good scare, right? Let's be honest. If I take myself out of the equation, that was, that was pretty legit. That's an encounter, right? That's an encounter. Uh, those of you that enjoy nature and going out into the woods and things, you know, I've heard people that have encounters with bears and, and things, lions and tigers, oh my, you know, these are, these are things that impact us. Um, I remember a time when I was a kid and I grew up in Southern Oregon and the, the summers down there get really, really dry. And so the ground gets dry and hard and we had these wasps, things like mud daubers or yellow jackets that would build nests in the ground, right into the dirt, Okay. We have them here in Eugene as well, but I mean, it was a lot more prevalent down there. So one day, I'm like eight or nine years old. I'm running around my aunt's house, just playing, having fun. Those of you that are wonder why I don't like nature, the reason is because I've experienced it before. That's why, you know. Why don't you like this restaurant? I've eaten there. I mean, so I am running along and I step into this wasp or yellow jacket's nest and they didn't like it. And so they attacked me, and I think my aunt and uncle, they counted like 11 or 12 different stings that they could see in my hair, in my ear, my face, neck. 
uh, that was an unpleasant experience. It was an encounter, okay? I encountered the wasps. They encountered me. And here's the deal about encounters. Encounters are marked really by a couple things, and we're going to talk about the spiritual encounter, four marks of that. But I want to talk about just an encounter in general. There are really three things that we see from every encounter that are a reality. Number one, you know it happened. When you have an encounter, there's not a doubt in your mind, I had an encounter. Uh, when I met the Yellow Jackets, I knew it. I wasn't like, oh, I was stung. I had no idea. No, I absolutely knew it. I was aware of it. The second thing that we find from an encounter is that it forces you into motion. It forces you into activity. There isn't uh, such a thing as a real encounter that doesn't result in some uh, either toward or away from motion, right? There's a reactivity that comes from a real encounter. In my case with the wasps or the yellow jackets, I was screaming and running and batting at my head. I was in motion. I didn't stand there and sit in the encounter. It forced me into action. And third, an encounter marks you forever. You carry it with you. It becomes part of your history, part of your story, and it lives with you. And everything is different from that point forward. This is what encounters are, okay? An encounter is an unexpected meeting. Now, why are we talking about this? The, the word encounter, an unexpected meeting in the context of I love my church, I love my city. The reason is this, and we're going to put this phrase on the, on the board here, and you can, you can read it with me. But I believe that mission and impact for God comes from a real encounter with God. If, we are, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be in the city, and we're going to make a difference in the city, we're going to be the community that God's called us to be and make a difference and create an impact and actually fulfill the mission of God, there, there, that, that comes only from a real encounter with God. It doesn't come just out of ourselves. It comes from an encounter with God that fulfills these three things. Number one, you know it happened, that you met with God and that your life it was one way before you met him and one way before you had this encounter. And then after you had this encounter, it's different. You know it happened, right? Number two, that it requires activity and change. There is a reaction to what God has done when you have an encounter with him. It's not that you just go, man, that was cool, cool experience. I guess I'll just sort of put that in the journal and, you know, it sort of goes into the archives. No, there's actually some motion that takes place from this encounter. And third, it changes you forever. It becomes the marking moment. Now, let me uh, just draw something out here for you. Did you know that human history is actually divided and marked by an encounter with Jesus? Literally, when you go into your history book and you look at human history is divided in B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, it is Christ, literally the encounter that he had with human history is the marking moment that we see even in human history. And it's divided that way. And this is exactly how it works with an encounter with God. Number one, there's no question that you had the encounter. Number two, there's actual motion that takes place, an activity that comes from it. And three, it changes you forever. It marks you forever. And so we're talking about encounter because the mission of God, the impact, the calling of God that he has for each and every one of us, whether you believe it or not, God has a call on your life. Right now, it might scare you to death if God were to show you today, this is what I've called you to do. 
Many of you are called to plant churches. Many of you are called to start businesses and uh, pr- you know, preach the gospel in the marketplace. Many of you are called to go into the, the uh, academic and educational sphere. Wherever you're called, I can guarantee you that if you were to get a full undiluted picture of the call of God, it would overwhelm you. And I would propose to you that it requires that you have an encounter with God that literally turns you into the type of person that would even be ready or willing to take on what he's called you to do. But mission and impact comes from a real encounter with God. And we're going to study one of those today in Isaiah chapter 6. Now, we're going to read Isaiah chapter 6, about eight verses here. And I want to encourage you, for those of you that want extra credit, those of you overachievers, where are you at, right? Where are my overachievers at? Firstborns? Woo! Yeah. I want to encourage you to study out Isaiah chapter 6. Look up Matthew Henry's commentary, because there's some really good meat and depth and And further study, I don't have time to go into the depth and nuance and detail that I'd like to today, but I want to encourage you if you want to kind of really dig into this, if this catches you today, study that out this week. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see an encounter that fulfills these three characteristics and marks that Isaiah has. The prophet Isaiah, this is pre-Christ, it's, uh, you know, a couple hundred years, 600 years before the time of Jesus, says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne And the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. These are angels, angelic beings, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. These seraphim, the mightiest angelic beings, they exist in the presence of God, just proclaiming his glory. In Hebrew, when they, talk, when they say things three times, holy, 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 it's like making it exponentially more powerful and meaningful each time they say it. So God is holy. The word holy means set apart. God is unique. He stands alone. He's set apart. He's, he's, he's apart from us in his glory and righteousness and goodness. But not just that once, but it's times that and times it again. He is holy, holy, holy. It says the, their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Isaiah is witnessing this either in a physical transportation to this place or he's having a vision of this, but he's seeing into heaven, into the presence of God. And then in verse 5, this is what he says. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. In another translation, Isaiah says, I'm undone. I'm coming apart at the seams. You're not supposed to see God. You're not supposed to be in his presence. I can't handle this. I am recognizing that I don't belong here. And it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. The result of a real encounter with God is the posture of a disciple, the posture of a follower of Jesus that says, it doesn't matter what it is, here I am, send me. This is what God should hear coming out of your spirit every day. Here I am, send me. You call me to go to a place I don't want to go, here I am, send me. 
You told me to talk to people that are not like me, that I don't agree with, that I don't like, that I don't really want to talk to. Here I am, send me. This is the, the, the result of a real God encounter ends with an acceptance of mission and calling and saying, God, no matter what it is, here I am, send me. But it comes from a real encounter with God. And so I want to look at four marks of a real encounter with God. Because many people are confused about what a real encounter with God is. And let's talk about the two poles of this, the two sides and tension of what people might think an encounter with God is. For some, they might under-spiritualize it and sort of underweight it and think that an encounter with God is like, well, I sort of have a mental agreement with the fact that there's a God and I guess, I guess I'm a Christian. I sort of grew up in America. I'm kind of a Christian by default, right? My parents were Christians, so I, I sort of agree with that and I guess I'm not something else, so I guess I'm a Christian and I uh, don't take it real seriously. Like I'm sort of nominal, right, in name only. Uh, and an encounter with God is sort of agreeing with, with Christian ideas and maybe trying to be a good person. So yeah, I've had an encounter with God. Like I believe I'm a Christian. Ooh, and it's sort of not real deep. Okay, it's kind of shallow. On the other side, you have some Christians who think that a God encounter is like meaning you are with Isaiah in the heavenlies and, and revival and encounter with God is like the spiritual ubi-goobies. You know, ooh, I got the butterflies. I feel it. I have this spiritual moments. And you have people that actually... They have this idea of Christianity that like, you know, just church attendance and like serving in the nursery and, you know, sharing your faith with your friends and neighbors is sort of the shallow end of the pool. And then there's like this deep end of the pool where like angels talk to you and you can prophesy. And it's like this sort of very, you know, deep, the deep things of God. And I'll have Christians will come to me and be like, well, when are we going to talk about the deep things? And I'm like, you mean when we talk about Jesus dying on the cross and like calling us to make disciples? It doesn't get deeper than that. It doesn't get deeper than that. It says in the book of Revelation, the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. You want depth, you got to go to the, to the cross. That's the deepest it ever gets. There's nothing deeper than the cross. There's nothing deeper than the revelation of Jesus, who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily revealed to us in human form and the outworking of what he wants to do through his church. So we've got other Christians that are thinking like an encounter with God means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel like spiritual butterflies and it's like all this kind of deep mystical stuff and you're missing out on when Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he will give you boldness to be my witnesses because the depth is in the doing, the spiritual gifts, the signs are going to follow people that are on a mission walking to carry the call of the gospel out into culture. That's when miracles and things are going to come. They don't just happen for no reason. God wants to let the fullness of his spiritual gifts and the fullness of spiritual manifestations take place, but they walk in the wake of Christians on mission. So an encounter with God is going to not be this sort of shallow thing or this sort of deep thing. It looks a little bit different. Let's talk about what four marks of a real encounter with God, what actually it creates in the life of somebody who's really had a real encounter with God. Number one, <clears throat> we're going to draw all these out of Isaiah because this was a real encounter with God. Number one, it starts with recognition, a recognition of the holiness of God in our own sinful condition apart from him. The holiness of God, recognizing he is holy, he is worthy, that we don't take it cheap and count it nothing, that a holy God who is perfect, who had every right to abandon us in our sin, made a decision to rescue us, but he is holy, he is worthy, he sits upon the throne 
And the mightiest spiritual beings in the universe can't even, can't even look at him with their eyes and won't even let their feet be uncovered. And they live in his presence and their one job is just to declare out of the overflow of his amazing awesomeness, right? If John White were here, you'd say amazingly awesome. That God is holy, holy, holy. That he is worthy. This is what it looks like in the presence of God. And we need to see the holiness of God. And what the holiness of God reveals to us is that we do not measure up, that we are sinners, that we actually are fallen and broken. And the state that we find ourselves in doesn't measure up to God's glory and doesn't, doesn't really hold a candle to his flame. It's interesting because in our culture, we've really diminished these things, which is heartbreaking to me. Because in our culture, what we've done is instead of recognizing that we as human beings are deeply flawed and sinful and in need of a savior, what we've done is we've offered a cheap substitute, which are coping mechanisms, in order to normalize and manage and mitigate the symptomatic nature of our sin nature, mitigate our sin, rather than get the actual solution. So rather than admit that there's a doctor that we need, we go, you know what, we've actually created a bunch of management tools and we, we've even made it where it's actually heroic to embrace and actually take into your identity your own brokenness. In our day and age, if you say, man, I'm just, oh man, I'm just like, I have so much anxiety. Like, I'm just anxious. Like, I have anxiety. I'm like, so anxious. Yeah, like, we're all anxious. There's like a pandemic and it's really like an anxious time. Well, I'm just really anxious. Like, anxiety. Like, I need to take this medication and I need to talk to somebody about my anxiety and like, I am anxious. And like, Wear it like a badge of honor. And what I, what I really want to see is like, well, if you're anxious, what if like the Prince of Peace came and like dwelled in your life and you, you weren't anymore? What if like instead of always just like identifying with our brokenness that we actually got, you know, healed? What if instead of like saying, well, you know, whatever my particular sexual proclivity, whether it's homosexual or it's heterosexual or it's multisexual or whatever any category we can come up with. We'll come up with more. I'm sure we will. That whatever proclivity that we have, what instead of embracing that and saying this is who I am and my identity, we said all of us are broken and need a savior regardless of whatever proclivity you have that takes you away from God's design for sexuality. What if we admitted that we actually are broken and we need a savior? This is recognition that there's a holy God and a sinful world that has fallen and broken that I'm a part of and I need to actually see him and I need him to come and see me and transform me from the inside out. Or we could just sort of like manage it and leave everybody in chains and leave everybody broken and leave everybody without hope. And what's sad to me is that even for, I'm going to just be transparent with you, that even for me, I'm asking God to increase my faith that for actual victory, not just coping mechanisms. I don't want to preach messages to you and, and, and share verses with you that encourage you to stay where you are. I want to preach messages of hope and life that challenge you, provoke you, maybe even tick you off a little bit to get you to go, you know what? There's more. I was created for more. I wasn't created to manage. I wasn't created to cope through my broken condition. I was created to know God, be known by God, and be transformed by God. But it starts with recognition. You know it's a good message when the preacher spits a lot. That's why nobody sits in the front row. <laughs> Only my dear wife, you know. She, she's a little off to the side, so. Isaiah's reaction to the presence of God, Isaiah's reaction to an encounter with God, is he says, I'm coming apart at the seams. I see 
my own brokenness. I am a man with filthy lips, unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. When I was like 15 or 16 years old, I, I had an encounter with God, not quite this epic, but same type of thing, where I saw the holiness of God in juxtaposition to my own sinfulness. When I was young, I was bullied. I was typically a few grades ahead of my age range, and so I was a little younger, a little smaller than some of the other kids in youth group and different social environments. And so there was some boys that would bully me and different things. And what I developed is this ability to use my words as a self-defense mechanism. And so I would cut people down. I was sarcastic. I was mean. I would, like, you know, be sharp. Like, I could nail you, like, with, you know, words. And that was kind of the way I developed my identity around that. It was like, you know, I'll, I'll be this guy. And uh, one night I was at this this youth group party, and we were hanging out watching a movie. It was a good environment. And uh, there was this girl that, at the time, I didn't know this, but I think she had a crush on me, which I was so shocked. I, that never actually occurred to me that it would happen. So anyways, in hindsight, now I realize. But uh, <laughs> girls, when you're like, guys are dumb, you're right. I mean, male brain doesn't even fully form until like, what, 25? Yeah, so sorry, young guys, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyways, um, it, it gets better, you know, from, from there, I suppose. I don't know. But uh, um, anyways, getting back on track. I think this girl liked me, and so she was kind of being funny or whatever, and I, I was teasing her. I was being mean, and it really hurt her feelings. And I, I saw that, but I didn't really care. I mean, it just, I was just in my, my behavior. And uh, I went home that night. My dad was on a missions trip in Ecuador. I remember going into my mom's room, and she was like, hey, you know, how'd it go? I'm like, Good. I sat down on the end of the bed, and I, I kind of felt like the Lord just flashed before my eyes the words that I'd been speaking in this girl's face and, and, and how it had impacted her. And it was in that moment, boom, I saw I'm a man of unclean lips and a people of unclean lips. I had a recognition of my sinfulness, that I had allowed my words to, to be used to hurt people. And, and all of a sudden, I just felt so convicted. I mean, I felt so rotten to the core, and I knew that the real me, this real person, uh, that wasn't who I was supposed to be, but that's who I was. I was this rotten, you know, tongued guy. And uh, the Lord just convicted me. I cried out to God. I was like laying on my mom's bed, like, oh, like weeping, crying as a teenager, probably 15 years old, which I think was weird maybe, but at least she kind of recognized, I think the Lord is working on him right now. And uh, I had this God encounter that shook me, and it was this recognition. God is holy, and I I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I cried out to God. And from that moment forward, out of that encounter came a transformation in my life. My, my sobriety and my seriousness of my walk with the Lord went, went up a few notches from that moment. It was like that encounter led me to check my words and to begin to understand that, that what the devil had intended me to be, which was to use my words to hurt, God actually wanted me to be somebody who would use my words to heal. What you will find in a God encounter is that oftentimes the place of your brokenness, oftentimes the place of your woundedness, oftentimes the place of your deepest sin and the darkest secret in your life and the thing that you use to defend yourself in your fallenness is actually the place of destiny that God is calling to redeem for you to use for his glory and you to use for his kingdom. And so oftentimes it forces us to go to those deep places, those painful places and get really deeply honest with God and say, man, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need you, God, to redeem and restore and make new these broken places. But it starts with this place of recognition. Do you see 
the holiness and the glory of God, the otherness of God? Or have you allowed holy things to become common? We live in a culture that tramples the sacred and tramples the holy. Marriage is just a cheap piece of paper, and it was a sacred institution that God established, and yet we have all kinds of people all around the world just like, ah, I don't feel it anymore, so I'm out. That's a covenant you made before God. I don't care if you were a Christian when you did it or not. You said, I do, and God heard you say it, and he holds you to it, and it's a sacred thing, and it causes, the Bible says divorce literally rents and tears the garments. It rips lives apart, which we see with our eyes in culture. Come on, somebody. Because we trample sacred things. God said sex is a sacred act. It's something reserved for this particular relationship, and it's a beautiful thing, but it is reserved for this relationship, and our culture said, ah, doesn't really matter, not sacred. And then all of a sudden, you have the complete uh, detonation, a grenade going off in people's life when this area of their life is not surrendered and submitted to God. Why? Because we don't see that God is holy and that we need Him and that we need to listen to what He says and not take ourselves as the ultimate authority in life. Come on. And it starts with recognition. So a God encounter is going to result in a recognition of the holiness, the otherness, the worthiness of God and what we lack on our end of it. And the second thing that it leads to is this repentance. You see, it's not enough to just recognize, hey, God is holy and I need, and I need him. I mean, there actually now needs to be a moving forward. Remember an encounter, the mark of a real encounter is that you knew it happened, but now there's activity that comes from it. And so the scripture talks about bearing the fruits of repentance. You see, repentance means changing your mind. Literally doing a 180 in the way you thought one way, now you think a different way. You thought your own thoughts, now you're saying, no, I agree with God's perspective of me. And so now I'm going to do a 180, and I was going this one direction, but now I'm doing a 180, and I'm going a different direction. It's not enough just to recognize. you got to recognize, and then you got to repent. Repentance says there's going to be change. I'm going to take this seriously, and I'm going to walk in what God is doing in my life. And so a real God encounter will not just be marked with recognition, it will be marked with repentance. That literally, who you were before, you're now a different person and you should act like it. You're now a different person and you should walk in it. Many times with my children, I have to remind them who they are. You see, many times it's not that you're bad or evil or whatever, you just don't remember who you are. See, you're called to be a child, you are a child, you're not just called to be, you are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of the one true king. You are called to walk like God on this planet in the authority that he has given to you. And so when you're living outside of God's plan and outside of who he's called you to be, you need to be reminded of who you really are. You are called to be a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. You are an ambassador of the gospel. You have the ministry of reconciliation. And so you need to walk like it and talk like it and act like it in everything that you do. When my children are acting outside of who they are called to be and who they are, then I have to remind them. Like yesterday we were hiking on a trail and for whatever reason they were like burping out loud. And I was like, stop, that ain't who we are. Like we could be that at home, but like that's not who we are. Hey, if that's who you are, cool, but that's not who we are. So I was just trying to remind them this isn't who we are. Like daddy's face is all over TV. Everywhere we go, people are like, Jake from Joy Church. Ooh. Jake from State Farm. Ooh. Heard it before. Heard it a million times. Thank you. Uh, yeah, anyways. And I'm like, guys, uh, let's not do that. That's not who we are. Now, that's just a very minor example. We have major examples that I won't share. But 
reminding who you are. And there's a change, a change in behavior. And so a real encounter with God will have recognition. Number two, will have repentance. Number three, it will have restoration. Restoration. Let me tell you something about when you give your life to Jesus, God doesn't have a doghouse. And God doesn't have any grandkids. You are brought into full inheritance and you get a place at the table, the family table, and you get a place in the family business. When you give your life to Jesus, he says, come on in, have a seat at the table. You have full refrigerator rights. All my goodness, my glory, my blessings, my peace that passes all understanding, the ability to tread on serpents and scorpions, the ability to walk like me among the people, to, to be who you've, you're called to be, who I've created you to be, in freedom, not coping, not management, but freedom, to hold your head high, to, to leave your past behind and walk in your future and potential that God has for you. When you're brought into the kingdom of God, you don't go into like second tier status. You're brought right in. If you showed up at Joy Church 10 minutes ago and you give your life to Jesus, there's not anybody here that has a higher status than you. There aren't any steps at the foot of the cross. It's all flat ground. We come to the cross as sinners and we, st we lay down our burden of sin and we stand up as saints. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes, five years, or 50, there are no steps at the foot of the cross. Come on. There's no platform. Well, Pastor Jake, you must be like closer to God because you're a pastor. If anything, it's the opposite of that. God's like, I got to take the worst and use them as an example. You know what I mean? <laughs> but there's full restoration. Listen, Isaiah has this encounter. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. And your sins are forgiven. Man, if I had more time, I would tell you all the depths of this passage and what this represents. But you got to understand that the, this is the holiest place in all creation, in the presence of God. This is the altar of incense where these coals that are here are literally soaked with worship and the prayers of the saints. Like this is this beautiful picture of heaven. And God says, take what is holy and go and touch what is unclean and make it clean. And it reminds me of a story that I heard one time about a God who so loved the world that he sent the, his son to, to save them. Yeah. Come on, to take what is clean and what is holy and what is perfect and come to the broken and the unclean and the unworthy and to restore it back to being worthy and back to being clean. Yeah. And so Isaiah gets a picture of heaven and how God's heart works then, and when Christ came, and even now, to take what is worthy and holy and good and bring it to the unclean and make it clean. Isaiah has this encounter, your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. When you go through the stages of this real God encounter, it's a recognition, it's a repentance, a turning and going the other way, but it's also a restoration where God comes and does what only he can do in your life. Because the reality is no matter how clear you see your sin and the holiness of God, and no matter what repentance you engage in, you still absolutely needed the coal to come from the holy fire of God to come and purify you and change you from the inside out and forgive you and wash your sins away. Come on, somebody, and restore you to be who you were called to be. Reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son when Jesus talks about how the son who is lost and who is living wayward uh, comes back and the father doesn't say, okay, now you got to pay sort of your dues and you got to you know, earn back what you've done wrong. He says, come on in. And in, in Luke chapter 15, verse 22, the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found, and they began to celebrate. This is the heart of God. In a real encounter, there's going to be restoration, a mark upon your life that now you used to walk one way, but now you walk a different way. And it's not in pride and it's not in presumption and it's not in you trying to fake it till you make it. It's that God actually put his mark and his seal upon your life. And now other people can even see it and they begin to look at you and go, man, it's a little bit different. I'm going to stop right now. I just want to prophesy for a second. I know I don't do this all the time, but Thomas, the Lord just spoke to me while uh, I was preaching and I was preaching this message and I, he wants you to know that he's put his hand on your life. He's called you out of darkness into light. You have full sonship and God is going to do amazing things in your life, Thomas. God has called you. God has called you in the days to come. I believe that you need to begin to study the word with diligence because you're called to preach the word. You're going to take the word to different cities. You're going to take it to different nations. God's called you to be a preacher of his word. He's called you to carry holy things to unholy people and bring life and restoration in your words. God has some great things in store for you and he's calling you out, Thomas, in Jesus' name. I love Thomas. In case you don't know that, I love that guy. And it's not just because he bought me coffee this morning. That... (laughs) doesn't hurt. God is speaking to some of you today that not only did he forgive your sins, but he is restoring you to be who you're called to be. And that when you come to Jesus, you're made brand new. You're not, you're not just fixed. You're forgiven and washed new. One of my favorite songs of all time was written by Robert Lowry, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm going to leave it off. You can read the rest of it, but for time's sake. But so beautiful. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The mark of a real encounter with God is restoration full restoration, which leads number four to our closing point, response. From the place of recognition and the place of repentance and the place of restoration. It says, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. You can't be sent until you're saved. You can't be sent until you're sanctified. You can't be sent until God, you've had a real God encounter. You don't even hear the call clearly until you've received a touch. You can't hear the call until you've tasted a coal from the altar. Until God has taken his holiness and his goodness and his grace and his glory and invaded your space in an undeniable way, will you ever be able to do anything for him? It comes from an encounter with him. The altar, as I said before, represents this place of worship. It's the holiness and the presence of God. That fire that refines and prepares us to do his will. And it represents the work of Christ. I want to just propose to you today that the call of God is utterly unimaginable for all of us. What God wants to do in and through your life. Paul describes it this way in the New Testament. He says it's beyond that you can ask, think, or imagine. It just blows your mind. It goes so far beyond, but it comes from this place of encounter. The reality is, for many of us, if God were to come and again reveal to us the picture 
of where he wants to send us and how he wants to send us, we would say no. Because we need to have that encounter with him that leads to this place of here I am, send me. You see, there's something about being ruined or wrecked. I don't know if you've ever seen something beautiful or maybe in life when you have a great love, like the love that I have for my wife, it wrecked me from all others. That's why I could stand stone cold sober on an altar and pledge my troth to her and say, until death do us part. It sounds like a gladiatorial games, isn't it, what we do at marriage ceremonies? But the reason why is because I was wrecked, because love will wreck you. You go and see a beautiful vista, some kind of beautiful mountain or some beautiful valley, and you go, man, I'm wrecked. Like, I can't just unsee that. Like, that transformed me. When you have an encounter with God, like Isaiah, you're undone, you're wrecked, and now uh, it just changes everything. And, and, and that place of awe and wonder is where you can be called and you can say, here I am, send me. I don't care Whatever I have to give up, I'll give it up because I've seen the King and I can't unsee. I've seen the Lord and I can't unsee. I've seen his glory and I can't unsee. I have to pursue with my life and I'll give it all for that treasure that I found. I want to give you three quick response steps to respond to this message today and then we'll close. Number one, I want to encourage you to spend time in the presence of God every day. Just every day. It doesn't mean you're going to have spiritual butterflies or feel all crazy or something. Maybe you will, but what it means is that every day you say, Lord, I'm, I'm pursuing your presence. I'm going to get into the word. I'm going to get into worship because I want to get to your throne room. I want to see you, Lord. I want to see you, God. Many of the songs that I love to listen to to access the presence of God are songs that are like what they sing in heaven. Holy, holy, holy. You want to go into the throne room of God? Sing that song, Agnes Day. You know, holy, 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 right? That, it's beautiful. But songs that are giving glory to God, but just pursue his presence every day. Get into, that, into his throne room because you've been invited in. Jesus made a way for you to access the throne room of God. Why don't we? Let's go into his presence. Number two, tune your ear to hear his call. How do you know the voice of the Lord? because usually it's the thing you really don't want to do. <laughs> Most of the time when I'm like, oh, I think the Lord told me to go eat pizza. Uh, no, I think that was my flesh. The Lord told me to go talk to that person who I don't want to, who looks different than me. God told me to go start this group. God told me to go start some church in Eugene, Oregon. God told me to do this. That's not what I want to do. It's the call of God, but we tune our ear to hear his call and tune, tune in to hear his voice. And then three, just be willing to respond in faith and in obedience with these words, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. A real encounter with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for every single person here in the room and those watching online. Lord, I pray that we would have a real encounter with you. For many of us, God, we've had a real encounter with you and we are marked forever. We can't unsee. Lord, we've been, we've been our lips have been touched by the coal from your altar. You've done such a work in our lives but we are still desperate for more. We are still hungry for more. God, for others, maybe they haven't had that moment, that encounter of recognition and repentance and restoration and response. And I pray for that encounter, that Lord, you would do what only you can do. We wanna see you, we wanna know you, we want to be changed by you, and we wanna do your will and see our little corner of this earth look more like heaven. Father, 
I pray for real encounters with you. Lord, there doesn't have to be a vision of heaven, but heaven can invade living rooms, rocking chairs, kitchen tables, can invade quiet moments. Lord, where we would know you and meet you for real and see the fruit that comes out of a real encounter. Lord, I thank you that you're unleashing calling in hearts to plant churches, to prophesy, to preach the gospel, to step forward in ways big and small and say, I'm going to be part of the kingdom of God and the advancement of this mission that's been going on for thousands of years. We, here we are, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. We respond to your call today in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Just real quick, if there's anybody here that wants to put their faith in Jesus for the first time, the biggest and best encounter you can have with God is to meet Jesus and to put your faith and trust in him. The gospel is simply this, that God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And like I said, there are no tears, no steps at the foot of the cross. We all come to Jesus as a sinner and we all stand up under his grace as a saint. And God wants to give you the gift of eternal life if you'll put your trust and faith in Jesus. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Anybody here today, just raise up your hand. Thank you. Anybody here today, raise up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And anybody online, you can pray this with us. Let's pray this prayer together. We're all going to pray it. And then we'll give you some next steps. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I have not lived up to your standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life, all the good, all the bad, and I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.